let's jump into John 13 this morning. Uh, we started John 13 last week. We're going through this journey. We're, we're over halfway home. Uh, John, uh, there's only 21 chapters. And as we started last week, I told you that chapters 13 to 17, they are very special chapters. Probably one of my favorite parts of scripture because it's just Jesus and his disciples. It's called the final discourse, the farewell discourse, or some call it the upper room discourse. And Jesus has a, a prayer in there, chapter 17. It's just absolutely beautiful. But bottom line, Jesus is giving his final instructions to his disciples. In fact, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. These disciples are very special to Jesus. And he wants to say, hey, I'm taking off. Now here's what it's going to look like. And here's uh, what you need to do, what you need to not do. Here's resources I'm going to give you. And we're going to unpack that together. So it's, it's Passover time, and uh, they're all gathered for a meal, and Jesus does the unthinkable. He becomes a servant, takes off his outer garment, puts on the towel, and washes the disciples' feet, just like a servant would. Now Peter, leave it up to Peter to make it awkward, because he tells Jesus, no, 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 you, you can't wash my feet, Jesus. I, I got some fungus. I got a toenail. I got an issue here. Just, you can't do this. He's like, no. In fact, if I don't do this, you're not on my team. He's like, okay, fine then. Wash my whole body. I mean, wash my hands, wash my head, everything. I'm, I'm all in. And in that, that whole recording of that, we're seeing these glimpses of, of John as the narrator describing what's happening with Judas. We're going to unpack that today. In fact, that's going to be a main theme is Judas's betrayal of Jesus. So he washes all their feet, and then he has a teachable moment. And we see in verse 14, he says, Well, then if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I'm just trying to picture what the disciples look would be like. What are you talking about, Jesus? No, 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 no. But yet they can't say it out loud because, you know, they, they would look like they're unspiritual or something. But he's like, if I'm your teacher, Lord and teacher, I'm up here. Well, I, wash your feet. In fact, for I've given you an example. I, I've done this for you. I showed you how to do it. That you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So if a master is going to wash the feet, the servant should do it too. But then it says, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We're going to see a comment on that here in just a moment. He says, if you do these things, I'm sorry, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He doesn't just want to give them a quiz and a piece of information. He wants them to act out what he's telling them to do. But he does say, I'm not speaking of all of you, though. I know whom I have chosen. I know who's in, I know my, the disciples I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. Listen to this interesting quote. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, the first time I read that, I thought H-E-A-L, as in the heel of the bread, but no, no, no. We're talking the foot. So whoever eats my bread is going to kick me. Well, what's that all about? It's a quote from Psalm 41, verse 9. And David says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, 
meaning I've provided for him, has lifted his heel against me. That was during uh, David's, during when King David, when Absalom was rebelling against King David, and most likely this was his friend, Ahithophel, who was betraying him. And Jesus is using David's words and saying, someone is going to betray me. The one that I give my bread to is going to kick me. He says, I'm telling you this now. Uh, Let me back up. Why is Jesus telling them this? Well, he tells us. I'm telling you this now. Before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may what? You may believe that I am he. That word he there, there is no Greek word behind it. They've added it to make it just read a little easier. But a lot of commentators believe that what's happening here is Jesus saying, I'm telling you this before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am, that that I'm God, that you may believe. Now, the whole book is written so that People may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that they may have life in his name. And we get this one little quick glimpse in here where you've got Judas betraying Jesus, and the reason he's going to tell them about it is so that they may believe that he is God. It's a powerful picture. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one that I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Then verse 21 After saying these things, Jesus was what? He was troubled in his spirit. He's heartbroken. Like, this is not easy. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus wants his disciples not to be caught off guard when they learn that Judas has betrayed Jesus. In fact, Judas's betrayal of Jesus is an opportunity for them to believe in Jesus, to believe that he is the I am. So here's a principle for us today. In fact, I, I, I find this a bit difficult to wrestle with. Maybe, maybe you'll grasp it better than I do, but, but here's the principle. Let others' betrayal of Jesus deepen your faith. You could even add the words, in Jesus. Let others' betrayal of Jesus deepen your faith in Jesus. Some of you have noticed that um, I've uh, moved my office here. When I first got here four years ago, four and a half years ago, we were using kind of the conference room as my office, and it's just, it's too big. I want a smaller room to do more counseling and things like that, and so um, what does a good pastor do? He steals the nursery for uh, his office, so that's what I did. I took it away from the babies and the nursing moms. But we gave them another room, don't worry. So um, this first room here on the right is, is now my office. And so this last week, we, um, believe me, I've had to put out some fires and, and conversations about all that. But, but I think we're good now. But um, uh, this last week, I had to move all my books in there. And I thought, well, it's a perfect time to kind of sort through and, and uh, put them in right order and get rid of some, whatnot. And I came across a book. It was written by a well-known Southern Baptist pastor who, last year, had to resign from ministry because it was made public that early on in his ministry, years ago, he had had an inappropriate relationship with the wife of one of his staff pastors. We don't know the details, but it was insinuated that he even forced himself upon her. 
Just a messed up situation. He hid it, covered it up, and for years served as the pastor of a very large Southern Baptist church. So I came across this book. I thought, whoa, I didn't even know he wrote one. But here was the title to the book. Unspoken, What Men Won't Talk About and Why. And then I noticed at the top was an endorsement. The endorsement read, Candid, Yet Profound. And the endorsement came from Ravi Zacharias. That's a book cover right there. Many of you know that Ravi Zacharias was involved in all kinds of immorality, um, pretty significant stuff, messed up, all the while he was doing his apologetic ministry. Joshua Harris, Dave Gass, Paul Maxwell, Derek Webb, Abraham Piper, Sam Collier, just to name a few, are pastors, church leaders who have walked away from the faith completely. A betrayal of sorts. So what do we do when well-known Christian leaders or frankly even lesser-known Christian leaders betray Jesus with their immorality or by abandoning their faith altogether? How do we respond to that? We have a choice. We can join them and say, forget it, I'm done with the Jesus stuff. Or we let our faith in Jesus be deepened. We run to him. We deepen our resolve. We deepen our commitment. We deepen our faith. Jesus wanted the disciples to grow in their faith as they begin to wrestle with, wait, one of our own is going to betray Jesus. How do we respond to it? It leads, it's an opportunity for faith. And I think that's what he wants for us today. But I want you to see something else in this passage. Let's go to verse 21 again. He says, after seeing these things, saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, saying, truly, truly, pay attention here, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now watch what the, the disciples did. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Like you can just see like, wait, who's he talking about here? And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, who's that? John, talking about himself, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side, hanging out with Jesus, okay? They're all eating. And I love this next time. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So probably across the room, and Peter's like, ask him. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? But really what's happening here is he's leaning back like, hey, Jesus, who are you talking about? Who is it? Who's going to betray you? Jesus answered, again, privately. Only John hears this. We know that from the next few verses. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. That's the connection to Psalm 41. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. It's a powerful statement. Satan entered into him. 
And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, well, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was what? Night. Can you feel the heaviness, the gloom, the darkness? Here's something else that we can learn from Judas. Be aware that betrayers can look like disciples too. For three years, Judas walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus. For three years, he was on the team. He saw all those miracles. He saw the teaching, all the conversations sitting around a fire at night. Yeah, Jesus right there. The truth is that people can be religious on the outside and rebellious on the inside. False teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. I think there's two applications to this. One, let's not be surprised when we see this happen around us. There will be those that were like, wait, what? They're walking away from the faith? They're doing this, they're doing that? They can look like disciples too. And I, I hesitate to ask the second question or to, to, to give you a second application because it's just hard, but I'd be unfaithful if I didn't. Could it be you? Do you look like a Christian, but you're not really on the team? Where maybe you're just going through the motions or, or you're doing this just to please somebody else? I wish someone would invent a, an x-ray machine where as you walk in, we could tell if you're a real Christian or not. So we could, we could treat you the way you're supposed to and beat you up with the gospel. <laughs> Only God knows the heart. When he had gone out, verse 31, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man, what's the word there? Glorified, that was a weak glorified. And God is what? Okay, we gotta keep going here. If God is what? God will also him in himself, and one more, and glorify him at once. A lot of glorying going on there. Glorying, can you do that, glorifying? Okay, here's the principle. Let God get the glory in times of trouble, in times of tribulation, in times of betrayal. I'm making a broad application here. I recognize that this text is about Jesus going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he's gonna be glorified for that. One of his disciples is betraying him, but Jesus is focused on his mission to glorify the Father. He's got that purpose in mind. It's all about him and the Father, even in the midst of betrayal and troubled spirits. Um, I'm realizing more and more, or maybe I'm just being willing to admit it, is that um, I can be a really big baby sometimes. Some of you have said to me, suck it up, buttercup, where things just don't go my way and I throw a little pity party. And I can be sullen and gloomy. And what I'm doing is I'm making it about me. I'm making it 
about me and not about him. When, when life just doesn't go the way I want it to, I'm not thinking about God's glory. I'm thinking about mine. And Jesus has the right mentality in all this. That even when things, with things like betrayal and denial, we're going to see in a moment, is that God should still get the glory. The only um, comfort I take is that some of you are like me too, and you're big babies too, so we'll keep going. Verse 33. Little children. Can you feel that term of endearment with them? He's saying, my kids... Yet a little while, um, while I'm with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Um, see, the slides might be messing up on me. We'll see. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Uh, Eric, go ahead and take over the slides there. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's a fifth principle. Learn to love each other. In the midst of all this, learn to love each other. Now, don't, don't forget, or just stop for a moment and remember uh, how different this group was. I mean, this was a ragtag group of guys. I mean, you had from fishermen, blue-collar workers, you had white-collar workers, you had tax collectors, you had the political zealots, all these different personalities. They were arguing over who was the best, who was in charge, and Jesus says, love each other. <laughs> like as he says, as I'm leaving, you all need to get along. I can't imagine 12 of them doing that. When I leave our house and I say to my five kids, you all get along. Like, good luck with that. Like, that, that's a miracle for them to love each other. But he's saying love each other for three reasons. One, because I said so. It's a commandment. It's a commandment, love each other. But then he says, do it the way that I've loved you. He just modeled for them service, washing the feet. Now he's modeling, saying, I... Love me the way that I've loved, love each other the way that I've loved you. But then one more motivation is do it so the world will know that you're on my team. Oh, do I wish and pray that if the world would look at the church of Jesus today, they would know that they're connected to Jesus. But that's not always the case, sadly. Let's finish out verses 36 to 38. Simon Peter said to him, I love this. Lord, where are you going? Didn't you know this, Peter? I mean, like, he's been talking to you all along about, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. What's the next word? Now. It's like, your ticket doesn't come up till later on, okay? You, you've got to wait. But you will follow afterward. You'll, you'll eventually get there. So Peter said to him, <laughs> Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? I want to go now. I will lay down my life for you. And he's probably just this excited, like, like, I can do this. Now, notice that there's a chapter break. Like, that's the last verse in chapter 13. But those, verse, those chapters and verses were put in there in the, I think, the 1300s. Well, it's the same conversation. But what's interesting is, uh, 
we don't see anything more about Peter until, in fact, the next time he's directly referenced, he's got a sword in his hand cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant. And then a few moments after that is the whole denial that he has of Jesus. He's just a knucklehead. I struggled with how to word this. Um, I forgot to read 38. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You almost picture Jesus saying, you'll lay down your life for me? Really? So here's the way I worded it. Be aware of self-deception. Peter thought that he was strong. Peter thought, I'm all in for Jesus, gung-ho about Jesus, Wash my head, my hands too. I'll lay down my life for you. I'll protect you, Jesus. I got this. Stand back. And then the very next moment, he denies that he even knows him. Peter struggled with faith. Some of us struggle with faith. Remember that time when Jesus had him come out on the water? And he took his eyes off Jesus and about drowned. So I ask you, how is your faith today? Bill and Rachel, if you want to come up. I want to tell you a story. Then we're going to take communion. And then I'm going to tell you another story. Then we're going to sing a song. When I was in youth group, um, either it was a school I was connected with, I don't remember who, who sponsored it, but busloads of students were taken out to this property and dropped off. And they said you are a part of the church and you need to go find the underground church meeting, but you have to avoid and not be captured by the KGB agents. So they had all these youth leaders that uh, were you know, dressed up in camos and had fake guns and we had to avoid them and get to this church meeting. And we had a lot of fun and a lot of us got caught and whatever, but we all, and we all gathered together and they told this story that in a similar way, believers in a communist country would have to sneak their way to get to church. And once they got there, they were in the middle of worship and several soldiers busted in with guns and said, if you want to confess Jesus as Lord, you can stay here. If you want the opportunity to go, you can leave. And so a handful of folks left and the soldier takes his gun and puts it in the corner of the room and says, now we can really worship. And I wonder, I wonder how I would respond to a life or death situation like that. I wonder how you would respond to a life or death situation like that. We're, uh, I'm going to invite you to receive communion this morning and just take a few moments to just be reminded that, that Jesus is up here. He's got to be the absolute most important thing of everything. And anything less than that is a sense of betrayal. It's a sense of, oh yeah, I'll just take a little bit of Jesus. But, but he's saying, no, I, I want absolutely everything. We're gonna take communion together today, so if you're a follower of Jesus, 
I'm going to invite you to the table and then bring the elements back and then we'll take them all together in just a moment. Bill, if you want to play some music and then tell one more story. <laughs> 